When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell, and it's just me, just me giving you a little intro right now, because this week... We're going to give you something a little different. We've got a lot of stuff going on. I've been in the studio with my band. Nick was super busy. Ryan's always busy. He's traveling. So rather than give you a full episode on whatever it would have been this week, we're actually going to give you something that I think is as cool, if not cooler, a portion of an interview from Armor Party Podcast, our sister podcast, hosted by Mike Forrester, who you know well if you've listened to this podcast at all before. Mike had the opportunity to interview an amazing prop maker, costumer, well-known in the industry. His name's Frank Ippolito. He owns a prop shop called Thingergy. He's worked on The Mandalorian. He worked on the sequel trilogy. He worked on the show Westworld. He worked on the Orville, Pirates of the Caribbean. It's an amazing list of credits. I first learned of Frank from Tested, Adam Savage's website, Adam Savage of the Mythbusters. It's a maker-focused website, YouTube channel. They're sort of a podcast network. They got a lot of stuff going on. Frank has done quite a bit of work with them in the past. Point being, Frank's been around. Mike has an amazing interview with him this week. He talks about a lot of stuff outside of armor building, costuming, stuff like that, typically that you would hear on Armor Party, a lot more sort of behind the scenes stuff about production, how they do things at Disney, what it's like to work with giant studios like that. It's really, really cool, insightful stuff. So we figured this would be a great episode to give you while we sort of get through this week. And then we'll come back next week with something holiday related. And before we know it, we're into the book of Boba Fett. It's exciting. So, without further ado, I bring you Armor Party Podcast with special guest, Frank Ippolito. Stop that ship! Blast them! Hello, my friends, and welcome to Armor Party, a show about costumes and costumers of Star Wars. I am your host, Mike Forrester, wishing you a happy December for whatever you celebrate. I'm still processing 2020 myself, and it's about to be 2022, so thanks for hanging around. We recorded this podcast around the time the labor unions were voting for a new deal. They've reached an agreement, so if you're confused about all this, don't be. It's all good-ish. Still lots of work to be done to support our fellow humans to make sure they are compensated correctly within the film industry. You know, we've seen a really cool thing happening as well. I've reached out to about 10 artists, many of them you've seen me share on my social media pages, and they're going to be building some really cool one-of-a-kind ornaments that will auction off to raise funds for a company called Magic Wheelchair, which is an artist collective that tricks out mobility assistants, and it makes a huge impact for those that they help, and it's all at no cost to the families. 
We're thankful for the artists for helping us and we'll be auctioning them off. So stay tuned on how you can get a custom and unique gift for that Star Wars fan in your life and help out an amazing cause. Now, this next conversation is a lot to unpack. I didn't cut much out. This gives you some insight into the props industry from someone who lives it every day. His knowledge is deep and his curse words are proper, but truly it's been one of my favorite conversations I've had yet. Please do enjoy the show. From his early days as a contestant on Face Off. Oh to God, his why are we talking about that? <laughs> <laughs> Frank is my intro, man. I only took time to write this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's get, I could get rid Continue of it. Continue on. All right. <laughs> From his early days as a contestant on Face Off to his work helping Finn face down the First Order and most recently as one of the Mandalorian's fishest of Mon Calamari, his career has certainly won to be celebrated. As owner of Thingergy Inc., his multifaceted special effects shop has probably worked on all the things that you love. Joining us from the hills of Hollywood in Burbank, California, I'm honored to be able to sit down with maker of things, Frank Ippolito. Frank, welcome to the Armor Party. Hey, thanks for having me. you got to leave that whole intro in, even when I interrupted you. I'm, I'm going to. At this point, it's like I, I love that I've gotten such a good response. Usually people will give me a response of, like, hey, that's really nice. And I love that you were like, It is really on. nice. But, you know, it's so funny. Like w- when that that reality show Face Off came out, it was in, I don't know, maybe 2009, 2010 or something like that. Sure. There had never been anything like it before. Yeah. And so to be the first generation of people that did what we do on television, we just, you know, Almost everybody just jumped at it. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it didn't necessarily portray me in the in the best light. And as soon as I was kind of done with it, you know, I did the, that uh, reprisal in season five just to yeah. hopefully try and write the way <laughs> that they portrayed me. Um, sure. And then I ran pretty much as fast as I could away from face off. <laughs> um, that's kind of when I got involved with, uh, with tested.com. Sure. And I think that that, that all the stuff I did on tested is a much more accurate portrayal of, um, kind of my personality and, and who I am about, you know, sharing and helping and, um, you know, reality TV is reality TV. Like it's all just garbage. We got to make, it's really yeah, funny. We gotta make drama. I'm just going to start off on these tangents. I, we were talking <laughs> the other day in about the, uh, this, this pending strike that's been, floating around out here in LA. Sure. And I don't know if you realize this, but almost all reality TV is the fault of the writer strike that happened back then. So there was yeah. this writer strike that happened and because of that they had to go to unscripted television. So that's when the boom of reality TV came out. So that's why, you know, like literally anything that's reality TV, it's all because of that writer strike. So thank you writer strike. Now we have the Kardashians to deal with. Like <laughs> It's it's really ridiculous. It, there's a straight line from the Kardashians to the writer strike. Sure, and, and um, the reason and that we were lost speculating got on, so weird. Yeah, and so we were speculating on what would happen if you know this whole IATSE strike happened, which would shut down all of production, not just the writers. Right. And what we were thinking is that it would probably be a big influx in foreign shows. You know, with shows like Squid Game that have like really taken off, and there's right. so much good content come out of like every country because it you know that's just so much easier to make content than it used to be right um there's a lot of great television and films 
everywhere, especially South Korea. Like, think about the horror movies that have been coming out of Korea. And then, you know, obviously Squid Game and like everything else. Like, there's so much good storytelling coming out of that area. Right. And anyway, so there you go. So I, I, I jumped I, right I, on into it. The, <laughs> the only reason I had to throw it in there is because like, I loved that show. And I think my wife and I, my wife has never seen a Star Wars all the way through, and it affects my life every day, and people are shocked wow, to hear this. But how it, do you trust do me? That? She like, is, she is, she's the woman who keeps every, my everything together. She puts <laughs> up with my ADD. She is a wonderful mother in person, but she yeah. doesn't do fantasy. It's just not her thing. Huh. And versus, yeah, it's crazy to me, but we, she loved that show because she thought it was really cool. And so I said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm talking to a star Wars legend in my opinion. And, but he was also on Facebook. She's like, Oh, face off. I love, we loved that show. And I'm okay, (laughs) well, throw it in the intro and, and I get it. now that you say that, I actually, I can't believe I said that, Frank. No, it's okay. It's not your fault. <laughs> <laughs> but now I'm feeling like, oh, did I help cause the Kardashians because I watched that show? Oh, no. No, so, it's, that's just what – that's where all uh, television was going at that time. And, and sure. non-scripted television is so cheap to produce compared to other things. Right. And at the time, it was getting, like, tons and tons of viewership, you know? Sure. Like, Face Off went, I think, 13 seasons. Yeah. Like, if, if people weren't watching it, they wouldn't have done 13 seasons. You know, the right. only way to – get people to stop making shows that you don't like is don't watch them. Right. You know, yeah, like, that's a good, that's a good point. That's a good point. Don't watch and them. I don't know. And I, and I think, and I'm, I'm assuming too, because at the time that the show had come out and then there was really the rise of YouTube as well. Right. And then we had yeah. also like non-traditional channels and non-traditional avenues for people to be able to produce shows. Um, I, I could see why the trajectory got very weird for a lot of, you know, for, mm-hmm. for networks and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. I, well, I, it's awesome to be able to sit down with you, Frank. I mean, I'm a fan of your work. I, clearly, I've been a fan for a long time. But m- most importantly, it, it, in regards Who to Star you Wars, to say that? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't made a cent from the show. But if someone wants to pay me, Frank, I say whatever I need to say. Uh, I, I, I'm just I'm a fan of anyone who is has chased a, a dream to make a career out of something creative along these lines, and and I know just listening to other interviews that you've done, that you are such a fan of these things and to be able to make a career out of it and own a studio, I just think is, is so commendable and it's awesome to see as creative well, to creative. You know, if, if you don't love this stuff, like with your core, then this yeah. is the wrong business to be in. There's a lot of people that, that we, we sort of touched on this briefly before we started the show. There's a lot sure. of people that put things like the film industry up on this giant pedestal. Like that's the pinnacle and that's, Oh, they, God, they know what they're doing and they have all the money and all the time. No, we right. literally never have all the money or all the time. And that's not just me. It's not just my studio. That's literally every show everywhere. Oh, yeah. like it's an anomaly if you have time and money and you have some, and if you have a show that's organized, like that's the anomaly. Um, you know, we, I grew up watching, you know, all the behind the scenes DVDs and that's like a lot of how I got into everything. Like most people that, of our generation. Right. And everybody was always like, Oh, the show is great. And we love everybody. And this is how cool everything was. But what you don't see is, is the, so I don't know if you've watched the show on Netflix recently, the, the movies that made us. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So if you watch that, that gives a much more candid view on how these productions were as much as it's, it's still like kind of a slice of life out of it. 
Sure. But you realize literally every show that has ever been made has barely gotten made. It's always been a train wreck. There's always been some sort of like near catastrophic event. That's every show that like no exception. Like (laughs) I remember one of the earliest like giant tent poles I worked on. I worked on Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. And I was like super low man on the totem pole in the makeup department. So I was shielded from all the. Sure. But I just remember, you know, the department heads saying how much of a train ride. And this is the worst show they've ever been on and blah, blah, blah. And this and that. And I'm just like, this is great. I'm in Canada and we're making aliens and yeah. the spaceships. And <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, I didn't get yeah. it. Um, but, you know, every show that, that like I've ever. I mean, we have fun on show. Like, we we enjoy what we do. We wouldn't still be doing it. But right, I don't know what I was getting at. But yeah, like literally everything out here is a, is a train wreck. And so if you don't like really really love this stuff and enjoy doing it, and you do, and you do it because you love it, then it's the wrong it's the wrong business to get into. And I never set out to own a shop. I came out here in two thousand to be a makeup artist and do special effects makeup because that's sure. just what I grew up being into. And then. Um, as I kind of progressed in the makeup industry, I learned that I loved a lot of other things besides just glue and rubber on people's faces. Yeah. Um, and so I started getting side jobs and I started needing some more help and then I needed some more space and then more help right. and more space. And before I knew it, I owned 14,000 square foot shop and I have 15 employees that I have to pay every single week. Like right. this is not like any sane person would not be like, I want to own a, a shop in Los Angeles. Like, <laughs> This is bonkers. Like, who wants to have a, you know, a $20,000 a week payroll? You're, you're crazy if that's what you want. You know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, to say, when you set it out like that to say, let me just place this in front of you. Cause I think the reality of, of so many hobbyists is the idea that they're working towards something. Right. And yeah. we had talked a little bit about this at the beginning uh, before we started, but you know, as a person who dreamed of making snowboards, I won a a contest. It got me into the Mm -hmm. industry. I'm like, Ooh, I'm I'm working towards it. And then I end up working and making graphics for Burton snowboards, the biggest company in the world. Yeah. I got top, I got top 10 graphics from trans world snowboarding. Right. And then I looked around and I said, uh, this is it. I was like, where, where's the rest of it? (laughs) And so I think in that way, I think it's like almost our, our human desire to want to keep pushing it and seeing like what develops, right? Like what, what, what does course. this turn into? You know, yeah. so it's, it's interesting hearing that, that maybe at some, maybe the theme of everything is that, you know, work is work. It is no matter what company you work for, or what industry you're in, like, you know, I, like we have client, like we have clients of Apple, uh, Disney Imagineering, um, like literally every studio that's out here making shows. Um, I've done stuff for Six Flags, for Universal, like sure. all the theme parks. Yeah. I've worked for all these video game companies, Capcom, Gearbox. Uh, I don't remember. But like tons and tons of these things. And literally nobody has their shit together. <laughs> like it's always one thing or another, whether it's, you know, their the way that, that their internal corporate structure is on payments or whether it's that there's this like insane bureaucracy to get through bidding processes or – yeah it's just it's approval like there's always some sort of like bottleneck where it's just like i have you know the the person that i'm dealing with and then us building the thing and we're like we could just build the thing but we have to do all this other red tape to get to it and that's everybody you know right. um so like you, you always think like oh apple's got to have their shit together they don't <laughs> disney's got to have their shit together they don't like yeah, yeah. It, there's 
everybody is figuring it out and everybody is has some sort of like like insane like bureaucratic process you're just like really it takes me 45 days to get paid on an invoice oh and once i submit the invoice i got to go to a vendor portal and enter every line of my (laughs) invoice back into your vendor portal like of course you know yeah like i can create something that's literally never existed ever in the universe faster than they can cut a fucking check like (laughs) and these are are like the largest companies biggest companies in the the world world. Yeah, yeah. So, like, well, yeah, we have to go. Th- yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. I have. This is great that we're talking about this because I actually was was assuming that we would talk about this at the end of the conversation. But you know what? Let's rip the freaking bandaid off, Frank. Yes, band- get rid of the bandaid. No, that's that's to be the title of this episode. Nobody has their <laughs> together. Nobody. I love that. That's great. And and hopefully Spotify <laughs> doesn't flag it because we're, we're it's about to get real. So Frank, what I want to <laughs> ask you too is as a as a veteran of this industry and as someone who has contributed. Been and chewed up by it, really had to fight to get your corner. I have a friend who works in VFX, and mm-hmm. he said, I assumed after a career of working on college productions with no budget, that when yeah. I got into the industry, I realized they're still college projects, but with mm-hmm. massive budgets suddenly. And he goes, yeah. in terms of just the craziness of, you know, and, and what I want to ask you is, the state of the industry for people in this specific realm, the the makers, the designers, the people that are not the actors, that are not the talent, that mm-hmm. affect so much of what people like me love enough to make a freaking podcast out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Is, there, is there more money than there is talent out there that makes people get burned out? For someone to go, I've got they don't care if, oh, okay, well, we have money to pay. Let's change it. Let's change it. It puts a, a tremendous amount of stress on people like yourselves who are creators that need time to do this. Like, what is the state of the industry for, for people right now? Of course, with this impending strike going on, and, um, and it's been a, it's very, very interesting as an outsider yeah. who, who's knowledgeable to really watch this, and I'm curious your opinion. So also to clear the air like i am not bitter or jaded about any of this stuff i literally love my job i love coming into work every day yeah. i love the 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 crew that i have working for me right now is excellent it's the best crew yeah. that i've literally ever had and not to say that i haven't had people that are really talented in the past but sure as a as a business owner i've i've had my ebbs and flows at learning yeah. how to pick the right employees that mesh together and yeah. and work together and work with me well enough um so I, I love what I'm doing. So when I'm saying all these things, this isn't me saying that I hate the industry or, I, or you know, like I still love this business. I still love yeah. what I'm doing. It's a realistic um, view. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not that like jaded, like, oh, let me tell you about how <laughs> everything. No, it's. <laughs> sure, it's, sure. But, it you know, I think a lot of people do put this thing up on a pedestal and they do yeah. think that it's like, oh my God, that's. It, in in Hollywood, that's how they do it. It's like no, yeah. we're we figure out every sing, every single job we do is something we've never done before, yeah. you know. Um, but the the industry, I feel, and I think that a lot of people out here feel it, which is why there's this big, you know, pending strike. Which actually, I, the vote to ratify the strike is coming. I got the notification email this week, so I have a feeling that ratification vote is coming any day. Oh, okay. Um, People are really fed up with how we get treated. Um, and that's not just 
me as a vendor, but that's also people that are employees, people that are on, on, on set and everything like that. Right. Um, you know, there, and there's two sides of this. One is like, if you get into the movie industry, you, you have to know that you're setting yourself up for long hours and hard work and high expectations and, um, crazy, insane, uh, people that are running these shows operating at this super high level of, you know, self-inflicted perfection. Um, sure. That's just, that's just what this business is. So anybody that complains about long hours, you got in the wrong business. (laughs) Sure. Um, anybody that complains about some psycho director that screams at their cast or, or at their, at their crew when they don't do something right. It's like, well, there's probably a reason that they had like 50 meetings saying, I don't want blue goo coming out of this hose. I want yellow. Like, why yeah. the hell is there, you know, blue goo when I wanted yellow? And we've right. said it in meetings before. You know, like, th- there's there's a certain, like, caveat to all of these things. But I yeah. think that crews are sick of getting, um, like, overworked and underappreciated. And it's, right. and it's always the people that are not in the spotlight that are getting raked over the coals. Like, it's not it's not the actors... That, you know, I mean, you know, the actors sometimes have it hard and and some of them have really tough jobs. It's the, the grips and the electricians and the set builders and the the costume department that and the makeup. Department. It's like literally every department that's below the line. It's not the produce. Like, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on the producers, but it's not them humping their back. You know, like, it's, yeah, yeah, it's tough. And when you like, OK, so when this strike very, very first, like when it the strike got um, authorization got ratified that yeah. very next Monday, a friend of mine on one of these giant shows that you all know and love, they went in on Monday, first day of shooting, and they said, "Everybody, we're here. You loud and clear. We're only going to do a ten day or a ten hour day." Okay. Guess what? Only. Guess how many hours they wrapped at? Thirteen and a half. So one when, when you go over that, okay, you have to have um, you have to have a certain amount of turnaround, which is you have to have um, you know, 10 hours off the clock or eight hours. I don't know what it is now. So you have to have this turnaround. So as you start pushing further and further into 13s, 14s, 16s, 18s, then your turnaround, you know, you have to have an eight hour turnaround or a 10 hour turnaround. That means your call time by Friday isn't until 1 PM. So your call time on Friday is at lunchtime. Right. And you still work another 16 hours, which brings you into, Saturday, Saturday, which is why they call them Fratterdays. Got it. Because you're not, you don't have a Saturday and Sunday off anymore. Because by the time you wrap on Saturday, your Saturday's screwed. Right. And then you have only Sunday off to have a life. And that's if they're not working a sixth day. Heaven forbid you're working a sixth day and then you lose your Sunday also. Sure. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's like, that's the kind of stuff that's happening again and again and again. Right. Um, And, and I think that a lot of it is also because there's so much stuff in production right now that there's not enough seasoned veterans running yeah. these shows. So whether yeah, it's a yeah. director not able to get their their shots in in a day, like let's say you you have to shoot, I don't know, three pages of a script, right? If if you set up all the cameras on the planet and you're doing coverage of two people sitting there talking at a table for 16 hours, right. you're doing a good job as a director. You got to know when you got your shot and move on. Yeah, but there's yeah. all these people that are, whether it's the ads, whether it's the line producers, whether it's the director, what, you know, you could point the fingers at all kinds of people. 
um, if you don't, if you can't get your shot concisely and move on to the next thing, then you're going to blow your days and it's going to take forever and it's going to wear out the crew and it's going to wear out. Everybody's just going to get exhausted. Yeah. And that comes from hiring people without enough experience. Right. Um, and because they don't have the confidence to say, there you go. I got my, I got the shot. Let's move on to the next thing. They're so right. scared that they have to get all the coverage on the planet so that the editors can make the film. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's an inexperienced director or, or sometimes it's the producer that has to go, you got your shot, move on. Come on, let's go. You know, sure. Like, or the, a, or the AD is not planning for it. There's a million reasons why this stuff is happening. Right. Um, but I think that most of it is just because we just have way too many inexperienced people making stuff these days. People that this is like, how many times do you hear about somebody that's like, they made a short film and now they got a $200 million tentpole from Disney. It's like, what has this person made before? I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, and, and that, that part of it is interesting because it's like a, a kind of a cart before the horse mentality, right? You, you have young people who come into this industry. Mm-hmm. They see it's just brutal. Yeah. Some of them probably leave and the people who stick around either get pushed up too fast or don't have the proper time to scale and, and get that experience like you're talking about. So I, mm-hmm. I, I see the same thing in regards to my job. I'm creative director at a, at a, at a, I work with a lot of students. I'm a creative director mm-hmm. at a, a higher ed institute here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you have to treat your students different than you would treat professionals, even though they have a role. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to nurture that learning process. And I, I can totally understand why it has gotten out of hand, especially for your point of, mm-hmm. I, I agree. I, I feel like I know directors that you're going, Oh, that seems interesting. That seems like a big project. Let me look up their IMDB. And then I'm like, huh, not that many, not that many roles yeah. before that. I mean, it's not to say that somebody with, with little experience can't run a big show. You know, if you have, good producers and if you have a good team surrounding somebody yeah you can give you know a first time or an early you know or a young inexperienced director a shot at stuff if they have a vision and they you know know how to run a set and know how to get stuff um it's 100 percent possible um sure you know like that's how people get their get their breaks like i get it but when you don't have enough seasoned veterans helping that person like to, to be able to get those things like, eh, I mean, but then it goes back to, it goes back to watching, you know, how the movies that made us like, go watch yeah. that. Like literally nothing. Yeah. It's just like, how the hell did this movie ever get made? Nobody knows. It just yeah. happened. Yeah. Making the um, dinosaurs of Jurassic park, uh, you know, in the, in the broom closet and then showing it, uh, yeah. forcing, forcing people to watch it versus, and then making Phil Tippett look like he's this curmudgeon who well, doesn't have like, Tell you, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> Phil is a bit of a curmudgeon. Well, that, but a that talented Phil. one like, at that. A talented no, one he, at that. Yeah. You know, I worked for Phil on Force Awakens. Um, yeah. So I uh, I had met the art director over there, Mark Dubow, um, before they got Star Wars. And, and we yeah. became fast friends because we had a lot of stuff in common. We both like motorcycles and, yeah. you know, all this, the same nerdy stuff. Sure. And, um, and he knew that I had a little bit of experience making uh silicone stop motion puppets because i had worked for the kyoto brothers um back in the uh 2005 through 2010 ish area so he said hey we have a stop motion project coming up that needs like very specific you know puppets made we don't want to do foam latex and you know silicone you know how like 
it's a it's a different process to make molds for a stop motion puppet versus you know, to make a makeup. Like there's a certain way that they have to go together in a certain order and you have to be able to align the armatures and all this other stuff. So he said, would you, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, sure. I like, I'll come up there. So, um, I signed the NDA and then finally found out that it was the chess set. And I went up and stayed in, in, um, in San Francisco for about four months and molded cast and painted all those stop motion puppets Making um, so I got sets. to know, <laughs> I got to know the tippets really well, and they're yeah. like, they're really great people. Like right. Phil was was um, super nice, and he he gave so much room for people to just do their job, and you know he had you know like a lot of a lot of people went out to lunch with Phil. Like every day, it was just like this big group of people that went to lunch, and everybody had great stories, and everybody yeah. was super friendly up there at Tippet Studio. Sure, and um, and it was great. Um, but yeah, Phil's a curmudgeon. Like it, it Phil's just the way you see Phil, that's Phil. Like he, there's no <laughs> putting on any face or anything, you know, like Phil is just Phil. Um, yeah. But I have but to he would, imagine in the movie industry, that's a welcomed, that's like almost like, Oh, that's great. No, rather than, no, 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 no. <laughs> it, he, it, it makes it tough sometimes. Like if Phil was a little bit more personable or more warm or more enthusiastic or loving, um, you know, it might be a different story, but I, I, you know, like it's, yeah. it's a really tough thing, you know, balancing act is protecting yourself and your art and your business yeah. versus sure. appeasing, you know, all these big corporations. And I've seen it before, not just in Phil, like people get really sick of how these productions treat us as vendors or shops or employees. Like, yeah, I can imagine, um, you know, if you, uh, I have a, I, I haven't recorded in a long time, but I have a, a podcast called Creature Geek, yeah. and we we had an episode where we had Rick Baker come on, mm-hmm. and you know Rick Baker retired, and he was like, I'm paraphrasing, but he was just really tired of not having enough budget or time or all these other things, and it's just it makes it really hard to to do it the right way when you don't right. have it, and you know Phil's the same way. He's sure sick of people, you know these young idiots that you know have never made anything trying to tell Phil how to, how to make a movie, you know, <laughs> Phil's been making movies since before they were born, you know, right, like, right, right. you know, and I'm sure that that same thing happened to Rick. You get these young, you know, douchebags that are some agency, you know, hiccup that, you know, just learned how to pull their pants up yesterday, trying to tell Rick Baker how to do something. I Rick only Baker, imagine right. that that's what's happening, you know? Sure. Sure. Well, in speaking of, in speaking of that too, because I would love to know a little bit about that. I have a lot of, people that listen to the show that are really active in, in interacting. And I follow a ton mm-hmm. of, of hobbyist makers too. As, as someone who, who runs a shop, I mean, what do you, what do you look for? If someone's looking to get into this industry and you have enough, you have enough obviously experience, but also mm-hmm. you're managing and creative directing and you're working with different personalities and all that. Like what, what is, what is Thingergy? Like, what do you look for in, in how someone would get into the industry? I know that you had, you posted a couple weeks ago. I think that's actually how we started talking. It was about a um, month ago. You know, yeah. 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 Saying like, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for a, like kind of a junior entry level position. Mm-hmm. And you people, know how many people just, I ended up hiring. How many people? Four. I was only looking for one person and there were so many people that were great. I hired yeah. four. Yeah. And and so I want to ask about that because I know that the post blew up. I saw it in every costuming Facebook group <laughs> and every Instagram That's I so saw. Funny. I mean, people just I think there's an excitement for this 
industry and especially knowing all of the projects that you've worked on and your work yourself. Yeah. What do you, what did you look for? I mean, what was that process like? What were you seeing? What really impresses you at this point? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so interested to hear about this. Well, I, I start with something silly and I, I made every, I said, you got to put what, I don't know, dollars and donuts in your subject line. And right off the bat that, that wiped out about five people, you know, <laughs> detail they, people. Yeah. You can't if do you the can't details, pay attention right? to, yeah. yeah. Write something silly in the subject line. Okay, you missed you missed that note, so you're not obviously not paying attention. Like I would sure. get messages on Instagram, "Hey, how can I apply for the job?" You already lost it. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> right, right. Um, and we got we got like fifty some applicants, and there were some people that were really great and some people that were really nice. So out of fifty, I ended up giving sixteen or seventeen interviews. Wow. Um, it was like a solid week of interviewing. Yeah, I started on Sunday, and then I didn't. I didn't do my last one until Friday. Um, Largely and, uh, California or was this kind all of California. all? So I, okay. Okay. Like there's a lot of people that don't live here that would probably be very good to work with, but yeah. I'm not in the position where I can um, offer enough stability for somebody to relocate right now. Sure. Like, I don't have enough. Like all the people that I hired back then, I only assumed it was going to be till uh, end of November. And I don't see, I don't see that I'm going to let them go. Like, yeah, they're, they're all really good and I'm going to keep them around as long as I can. But, um, you know, I like, it, like most, most people that do with this, what I do, like I'm a smaller shop as much as like, I'm a, I have a physically large facility. Um, I'm a small shop. I'm, I'm a pretty boutique kind of shop. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't project work out more than maybe six months. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to string together you know, full year worth of work and keep everybody employed all year long. But, you know, I don't, I don't know what's coming up in January. Yeah. Um, I know that I have work till the end of the year. Um, there's a, a movie that I just started talking to the prop master about, um, this week and we might get started on stuff, uh, later on this month, but I don't know what's going on in January. I, I'm pretty sure January is going to be slammed for everybody. Sure. Um, but I don't know. You know, for all I know, bottom will drop out in January. I'll be dead January, February. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. it could and be real slow. That, that's not that far away. No, but that's, you know. that's the business, you know, like sure. it's right now it's, it's a little bit slow. Um, I usually assume that one of two things is going to happen. Either everybody's going to want to start getting stuff in production so that they could shoot yeah. um, right after the, the new year. Sure. Or people are still trying to figure out what they're doing. And as soon as the new year hits, we're going to get slammed. So, I mean, there's a chance that December one, people are going to be like, okay, we need all of this stuff for January 6th. Like could happen. I don't know. (laughs) Sure. Um, so, and then, so when you get, so you have, you hired a bunch of local talent. Oh yeah. We got, I got on track. Yeah. So that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. So I interviewed all these people and like, to be honest, like I still have the folder here and I have, um, a green paper clip on all the people that I will still pull from. Um, as soon as I get more, I can justify hiring more people because there was a lot of really, really good people that I pulled from. Um, and, uh, so like one of the, one of the big things is like, I want people that have like a positive, like kind of go giddy attitude. Um, like I'm, I'm a very like kind of hands off kind of supervisor boss person. Like I'll give somebody like all of the information and all of the, the assets and all the things to do. And I'll say, here's all the things go do the thing. And yeah, yeah. You know, people know that, that we have a real high, 
um, you know, threshold for like how good things need to be and how quick we need to move. And uh, not that I give somebody their own rope to hang themselves with, but it's like, you know, it's, it's yours to either win or fail. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but every, you know, the, the people that I have right now have, have been great. They're, they like, they move really good. And when they're waiting on something, they're like, Hey, is there, can I jump on in something else while I'm waiting for this to dry? And, you know, they start to learn kind of where everything goes in the shop. And so they kind of pick up and I don't know. It's great. I just, I want people that are going to be positive, going to yeah. be self-starting and going to have good attention to detail and move quickly. Um, we're, I mean, we're fast paced, like all yeah. shops are. Sure. Like if any shop isn't fast paced, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, and what's, and what stands out to you when, when you get this huge influx of applications, what are you looking for specifically in regards to, you know, I know people and Instagram is like the new portfolio, of course, for everybody. It and, absolutely and, is. Yeah. Um, and, and what do you, what do you see that catches your eye? Because I'm sure at some point, especially in star Wars, it's like, I feel like I know 30 people who make the most amazing stuff every time I open Instagram. Right. And, and, yeah, and you might but, be looking at a different rep building a replica prop and spending weeks or months perfecting your Boba Fett helmet. Like, I don't give a, you know, you like do if that I had, today. yeah, if you can't do that in a, in like, you know, when we did, um, do you remember in, in season two, uh, of Mandalorian, there was, uh, that, that red armor on Michael Bean. Yeah. Um, it was the Ahsoka episode. We, yes. we did that. We only had a couple of weeks to build that. Um, you know, we, we only killer. had like, like two weeks to do Gideon's, well, maybe a little bit more. It was, we only had a couple of weeks to build Gideon's armor. Um, we did that on first season. Um, we did Fennec's helmet. We had like three weeks to make Fennec's helmet and we didn't even know who it was going on. Um, and that's, they hadn't and then, signed a contract with anybody. They were just like, make it so it fits somebody. So that, <laughs> that's why the helmet maybe feels a little bit big is because we didn't know who it was going to go on. We oh, didn't wow. have a head scan or anything else. We just had to build the helmet. And a, a generic fits seven and a half. <laughs> it's gonna fit someone. I, Boink. Yeah, I mean they they assumed who it was gonna go on, but there was no contract signed, and we just had to wow. keep building because sometimes those contracts don't get signed until a week before they shoot. Um, so we didn't Dang. have we didn't have a body scan on Giancarlo for Gideon. We didn't have a head scan on Ming Wen. Yeah, we didn't have her head scan. We didn't none of that stuff. We had oh a body gosh. scan on Gina Carano for. Uh, Cara Dune. Okay. Um, so we were able to scale her armor to fit. She's curvy. Like we had to yeah. make it fit her body type. Sure. Um, so that was super helpful. Um, but yeah, most of the time we're flying by the seat of our pants on those things. Wow. Um, and, but that's just, but that's just production. That's not just Lucasfilm or Star Wars. That's, that's like most shows. Like it's rare that you have um, like a good amount of time to really develop stuff. I'm and not that say it and doesn't that happen, is, but it's rare. And that's such a great point because uh, your point about the Boba Fett helmet is, gosh, it's so spot on. Because there are times in in I recently just finished my my Mandalorian build, mm-hmm. and I'm in the upper Midwest. I literally sure. was running against weather, Frank. Right? It gets cold mm-hmm. out. All of a sudden, my paint it takes three days longer to dry, mm-hmm. and I've never painted. I've never airbrushed before, and so I'm yeah. like, okay, I got this expensive ass paint. I'm spraying it, and I got. Oh no, I got something wrong. No, no, no. Which, by the way, there's a paint that. So there, there's this paint that a bunch of makers are all 
excited because they found out what they painted Mando's helmet with. There's another company that makes the, as far as we can tell, the exact same thing, like at half the price. Paint's called Moto. If you want to hear the rest of the episode, head over to Armor Party anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can find them at Armor Party Show on Instagram. You can follow Mike at Hondo Supply on Instagram. You can follow him at Hondo Supply on Twitter. You can follow Thank the Maker on Instagram at Thank the Maker Pod on Twitter at Thank the Maker. All of my stuff is at Adam the Skull. ThankTheMakerMerch.com is where you get Thank the Maker merch, of course. We have some new designs that we did sort of a pre-order thing with. We may be doing another run of that. There's still some time before the year's over, so be watching out for that. If you want to support this podcast, which is really, really helpful, we appreciate it so much. It, it literally allows this thing to happen. Patreon.com slash ThankTheMakerPod is where you can go to do that. You can get exclusive content, exclusive merch. That'll give you access to our Discord server where we're interacting all the time, sharing memes, talking theories, all the stuff that we don't really get into on the show. We're doing that on Discord with our patrons. You can also listen in on the recording of the show live at the highest tier. So check it out, patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. If nothing else, the support really helps legitimately. Thanks for listening. Go check out the rest of that episode on Armor Party. And until next week, may the force be with you. Thank you.